everybody. Welcome to episode 36 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. How's it going, dude? Hi. Oh, hey, that was quick. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing? It's early. I'm it, good, but it, it's early. It is. It's bright and early. Yeah. Yep. It's what we got to do to give. We got to give the people what they want. <laughs> you stole the words out they, of my mouth. They want donut holes, I hear. Yes. But we're going to give them a podcast instead. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I, one would say a compromise. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we actually mentioned that we were going to do a special episode that's just basically questions. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be today. We had intended to make it longer, um, but work constraints and other things have us uh, looking at doing this and making this. Hopefully we can... We're, we're going to get close to an hour, but probably not going to get to it. So uh, all the way to an hour. How dare you? It happens, right. you know? So uh, with that in mind, Stephen, this episode is just going to be questions. So let's just jump right into it. Sounds good. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. First one is from Shay. says, hi guys, new to the podcast, but really enjoying it. And thanks for doing an awesome job. I'm going through all the old episodes and loving them. My question involves brakes, big rear brakes in particular. I'm 38 years old, Australian. Good day, mate. Nice. Yeah. We can put another shrimp on the Barbie. Austria. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Great. And my hands get weak and numb towards the end of a gnarly Enduro S trail. So I'm looking for maximum power with minimal lever force. I think that what he's looking for, he's looking for saints with 200 millimeter rotors. That's <laughs> yes, what he's looking yeah. for. Yeah. Fishing reels for sure. Yeah. He says my a race is the trans New Zealand five day enduro. And for the 2018 race, I changed my bike from a Yeti SB six C to a Santa Cruz high tower LT. In doing so, I went from 180 millimeter rotors front and rear to 203 front and rear. Nice. Shimano saints. Yeah. Huge brakes. I know. So this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Since going to the 203 millimeter size, I'm getting a harmonic noise that I can't get rid of. Not a squeaky, avid brake noise, but a vibration that I can feel through the bike. This is common. It is. Yes. Uh, what's that usually caused by, Stephen? Um, usually what it is, it's uh, from the, the brake pads when you get some sort of vibration in the rotor because it's such a large diameter that it's, I don't want to say flimsy, but mm-hmm. it moves more than a smaller rotor. Clearly, yeah, yeah, more flex. What you end up getting is the pads start bouncing at a high speed back and forth mm-hmm. on the actual rotor surface, on the braking surface. Gotcha. Then the caliper starts vibrating, and then everything's vibrating. Then you got it going through the whole high tower. <clears throat> exactly. And Full shimmy. Yep, exactly. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, I didn't think about that. The larger rotor size, that totally makes sense. Yeah. would be more prone to flex when you're grabbing further out from the center of its mounting point. Yeah, and, and also the way that Santa Cruz does their, their brake post mounting, they don't actually use a post post mount. They use a side to post mount, so as soon as you start getting that brake force, that shear force on the actual brake adapter, the, the 203 millimeter rotor adapter, mm-hmm. you actually start moving that around more. You're so wise in the I, ways of bike science. Yeah. Stephen. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to continue reading on with yeah. this. Uh, he says, uh, got to find my spot. Here we are. He says, I've tried aligning the calipers over and over again, swapping rotors, swapping pads front to rear as the front doesn't have the noise going from metallic to resin pads and using a combination of one side resin on the other side metal in the same caliper, man, he's tried it all. Yeah. He's tried a bunch of stuff. I've had the local bike shop true the posts. I assume he means rotors, uh, but maybe he's talking about posts. And I've tried changing out my tried and true RT86 discs to hope floating two-piece rotors with no change. Any ideas? Thanks again. So um, it sounds like the rear is where he has the majority of the problem. Yeah. Can you think of why that might be? 
honestly, it's I think it's because of the the side to post mount and mm-hmm. the two hundred and three millimeter rotor. So, unfortunately, um, I don't think I don't think he has a whole lot of of option left other than what I would consider <clears throat> is I would try a different pa- a different brand of brake pad. Okay, in a semi metallic or a centered. Yeah. Then I would also try swapping down to a 180. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because See if it reduces. Yeah, because with the Saints, you shouldn't need on an enduro bike. You shouldn't need a 203 in the rear. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I it mean, is. you're you're you know you're a larger guy, so sure. But in this case, it'd be crazy. Like, I, the thinking of how it would be, you know, required. I, maybe some of the guys from the Descendant team uh, can let us know because I know they all run. They all run Santa Cruz and they've been running, I think, high tower LTs, at least some of them have. Mm-hmm. So perhaps they can give us some insight on what size rotors they're running and if they've ever had issues like this. So uh, Neil and Eric Stores and Trevor Roland, the whole crew over there, let us know if you yeah. guys have any insight on that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a, as a last ditch attempt, you know, one of the things you could also do is take all of your hardware for the brake caliper itself, where the caliper mounts to the adapter mm-hmm. and where the 203 adapter mounts to the frame go to your local nut and bolt house and get grade 12.9 or even 14.9 really, really hard, high strength steel hardware Mm. and see if that might help reduce some flex. Flex. See if that helps. I've got, I got it. I got the solution. What? Coaster brakes. Okay. We'll take care of the rear braking problem. We could probably get a three-speed internal hub with the coaster brake too. <laughs> there yeah. we are. It's not a bad idea. You could throw in some sweet skids. All right, Graham, he says, hey guys, enjoying the podcast. Not sure I agree about your advice for pointing the nose of the saddle down. I've been trying this recently and it gives the effect of the saddle feeling level whilst climbing so really comfortable. Ah, Graham, don't do it. It's not good. You don't want to do that. You want your saddle, your bike to be in the normal geometry for all moments. It's okay. Don't point it down. I know it's tempting, but don't do it. Right. Graham, you do you, boo-boo. Okay. <laughs> there we go. He says, most of the riding I do is winch up to the top of a downhill track and plummet down. So it suits for this as you've never, uh, as you're never supporting your position on the saddle with your arms, as we mentioned for very long. Uh, he says, try it. You might like it. I have tried it, Graham. Um, when I first started riding, I was uneducated on these matters and I tried everything with my saddle, trying to get things to be comfortable and there was a good dose of HTFU that had to happen. Then there was also, um, just me getting into the proper position on the bike period, you know? So, and at the end of the day, you want to be anchored on your saddle. You don't want to be sliding off the front of it. And guess what? When you point the nose down, that's what happens. Yeah. And I know that what you're thinking right now is, well, no, when your bike is tipping upward, your saddle is tipping forward. Then you're just, you know, plopped down on a level saddle. That's not the point because then when you are riding flat, you are going to be tipped forward. And also what that's doing is that's rolling your pelvis further forward than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. If you maintain your pelvis in the position that it needs to be, because remember, it's not just your saddle tipping back, but your handlebars are tipping back too. Yeah. And your bottom bracket is also moving in the same, your geometry doesn't change when you go up or downhill. Nope. Not at all. Other than perhaps maybe you sag into your suspension more in one situation or another, but that still shouldn't be affected by a hill. So your geometry isn't affected. Uh, so when you change your saddle to optimize it for climbing only like that, you're actually thinking that you're optimizing it for climbing, but you're not, you're making it bad for every other situation. But then on top of that, the biggest problem is the fact that you're rolling your pelvis further forward. And if you're rolling your pelvis further forward, it can open your hip angle. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of people ask why they get back problems. And there you go. Uh, You're pedaling in a totally different position than what you're used to. Yeah. Anyways, 
On to the question, he says, it's another setup one. I've seen a lot of EWS racers running their brake levers almost horizontal and can't get my head around how this is comfortable or easy to get used to. If you can discuss the merits and pitfalls of this setup, that would be great. Keep up the good work. So he's talking about, <clears throat> if you look at your levers, he's talking about running them basically parallel with the ground. In other words, if you were to like lay the lever down on the ground, it would just be sitting flat and then just lift that up to your handlebars. Yeah. If that makes sense. So shooting straight out. I actually don't know why they do this. This is something that it doesn't, it's not comfortable for me in order to run my, uh, levers level. I would have to roll my, uh, wrists super hard and that just pinches off blood flow. Um, makes it so that I can't, uh, that shifting is just, is harder. There's, I don't understand it. I don't, I have no idea. I've got a theory. What's your theory? All these, all us mountain bike. Is it folks. the moto bro? Are we yep. doing following the moto? We're just a bunch of sheeple. All of us. That's it. Just a bunch of sheeple. So we're putting hand guards on, which hand guards actually have a demonstrable like purpose. I get it. You know, when you're yeah. blasting through things, but really the reason we're putting hand guards on there and you'll see this with enduro racers, by the way, if you haven't, but the reason they're putting hand guards on there is because the moto guys do hand guards in enduro racing. So the enduro mountain bike guys in the EWS circuit are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Graham Jarvis or I'm one of the gnarly enduro guys. So mm -hmm. I should also have, have hand guards. Okay. Um, anyways, the, the lever thing is totally that back in, let me think about the time frame. early two thousands. It was en vogue to have your levers, not only flat, but even pointing slightly upward for dirt bikes. He, so weird. We can all blame David Villeman for that. Okay. So uh, David Villeman had a totally unique style and he was a guy that ran his levers super high up. Go ahead and Google it. Look up David Villeman, Yamaha 9, 934. That was his number back then. Yeah. And if you look at that, you'll see levers that are just pointing straight up. They called him the Cobra because he was all over the bike and, and had kind of a weird style and his elbows are often down and flapping all over the place with his levers up. So... Uh, that was a, a trend. Moto guys do tend to run their levers higher than bicycle guys, but that's because for some reason, and we've talked about this before is for some reason, like bike shops, a lot of the time they like spec your levers straight down or they set up your levers just like straight down. It's Which very bad, bad as well. Yes. Because then you, not only is your wrist in a bent position, but it's rolled forward and you have hardly any leverage on holding your body forward on yeah. those handlebars. That's how you break a wrist. Yes, yeah. indeed it is. So uh, having your levers, not pointing straight down, not pointing straight, you know, parallel to the ground, but at some point in between there is definitely the sweet spot and yeah. where most people should be. Um, the, the argument that a lot of the enduro racers use that when they have the levers like that is that it gives them a more stable, like strong platform to push against on their handlebars. So basically like it's more bend in their wrist, therefore they can push harder against that. And I get what they're, I understand what they're getting at because that's why I run my levers probably slightly higher than most, Okay. but I don't feel that it's necessary to run them perfectly flat. Yeah. I also think it's an aesthetic thing. It kind of looks cool when there's, when you look at the front of the bike and a lever isn't pointing down, it just, there's something about it that looks from a moto perspective, kind of goony when a, when a, when a lever is pointing down. Okay. So I assume that that's probably it, but really, uh, if anybody says they have their justifications for it, they do have their justifications for it. They want to run it how they want to run it. And that's just fine. Yeah. Um, but you will be in a spot where you're going to have more wrist discomfort. Um, and it's arguable that you're actually getting any increased ability to be able to, you know, brace yourself against your handlebars on impacts and everything else with a greater bend in your wrist. Yeah. Right. So it also makes it easier to bleed your brakes. Oh, 
Yeah, actually, <laughs> good point. Because then the reservoir cap is level. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, you don't have to undo the un, don't have to undo the bolt on the clamp, and then yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why. Maybe mechanics have just been slowly like microdosing their riders until yes, level. Yes, that's probably it. <laughs> and they're like, yes, we don't have to do it. Yeah. One less bolt. Uh, next one is from Silver Silver Buckle Aspirant. Uh, so that means I assume it's a Leadville thing. Ah. Mm. He says, yo, Jonathan and Stevie, what do you guys recommend for front suspension on my 2017 specialized epic hardtail for a sub 12 hour finish at Leadville? So this is the hardtail with like the more modern geometry and, and that sort of thing. It has a RockShox SID 100 millimeter travel fork with specialized brain valving, but I know that Jonathan is not a big fan of it. Yeah, but that shouldn't affect you yeah. um, in this case. And to Silver be honest, full disclosure, brain. none of us, neither of us are a fan of the brain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yep. yep. But it, that shouldn't affect your, your opinion of yeah, it, if right? If you like it, keep it. Indeed. Wow. Yep. He says this bike's sole and only purpose in life will be to provide some marginal gains to get that silver buckle. And it absolutely does not need to be party friendly on things like four foot drops. Awesome. Cool. I like that. The bike is just built for a purpose. Yeah. And this is a sweet bike too. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, the, this, this is a solid hardtail. Very good one. What would you recommend? And should I get a remote lockout given the four, given the long climbs at Leadville? Um, here's some information on him. 45 years old, 5'9", at 155 pounds with about 225 watt FTP. Um, he's shooting to drop down to 150 pounds and then have a 240 watt FTP next year for that. Okay. He's usually in the back of the third of the pack in XC races as an age grouper in the sport class. So in Cat 2 in XC. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he says, by the way, it was nice to meet Jonathan at Cross Vegas and hope to meet the trainer road crew at level next year. That's right, man. Good to, yeah. Now dots are connected. Very cool. Um, much thanks. Silver buckle aspirant. Okay. So, uh, what fork would you put on there if you were going to do Leadville and the bike is just built for Leadville, basically hundred mil RS one, or let me go think outside the box. Ooh, hundred mil carbon lefty. Ooh, can you put that on, on an Epic? Yeah. Uh, project three, two, one makes adapters for pretty much everything. They make mm -hmm. steerer tube setups for pretty much every bike out there. Huh? There we are. So if you want the lightest, stiffest, go with a, a lefty, but you're going to also spend some money on it. Will it increase your stack height <clears throat> at all on the lefty? Like, will the adapter kind of like sit into the headset and then push the fork no. down a bit? It won't. No. Cool. Okay. No. The, the only thing, the only thing is you're going to have a slightly different rake and trail, mm -hmm. um, but also that might be a good thing. So, you know, spec out an RS1 versus the lefty and see what it does to your front wheel. Now, would he, <clears throat> when you put a lefty on a non-Cannondale bike, this is an interesting topic. Okay. Uh, I have heard people say this, but I don't know that the Cannondale frames, like for example, on the scalpel, let's mm -hmm. just say, um, that the scalpel's frame, let's use for example, is actually designed to work with a lefty. Yeah. That's what the system but, integration is. But not only like in the sense that obviously it just slots into the fork and it goes in there, but that like the layup of the frame is unique to deal with a single-sided fork. In other words, like torsional forces basically is what I've heard. It's not for a single-sided fork. It's designed and laid up for a dual crown fork. Dual crown. That's fork. the difference. Okay. You can still run them on anything. In fact, if you, if you really think about it, it's actually going to be a stiffer setup for your frame. It's actually going to transfer the load throughout the top tube and down tube mm -hmm. for that, that load back and forth. Mm -hmm. So it's actually technically going to be easier on your frame than a standard fork. 
Yeah, because it is a dual crown. This is the yeah. it's the interesting thing. You have dual crowns in XC racing, which yeah. is kind of funny, right? Yeah. But, well, dual crown single leg. It's yep. okay. Yeah, exactly. It's half party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that the reason that we're talking about that one, um, let's get into the, the the two there. So and and I I've I feel comfortable stating this uh, this opinion as something that I have tested and felt. There are no there in terms of fork action. Okay. Okay. So a suspension fork. Okay. I'm not talking about weight or anything else. Okay. I'm just talking about how the fork behaves as a fork. Okay. There are no better forks for the XC market than the Lefty and the RS1. Agreed. Those are the two best ones. Yes. Uh, a step cast fork. I'm sorry. It feels like garbage. Um, feels like a wet noodle. Comparatively speaking. Yeah. And part of that is because, and also I would say a SID does not feel as good either. No. Um, I, I think a SID feels a little better than, and that's down to valving and the, the unique characteristics of a SID. Yeah. But I don't think that they even hold a candle in terms of feel. Okay. And I know you're saying, yeah, but it's heavy. Yeah. Wheel changes. We've covered this before, but get over yourself on the wheel changes, bro. Yeah. If you get a flat like that, your race is over anyway. You're not Nino Schurter, yeah. right? And at, the, <laughs> like, and at the end of the day with a lefty, guess what you can do? You can put a tube in your tire without ever even removing the front wheel. Which is pretty sweet. Which is cool. You can put a new tire on it. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And honestly, yeah, it'll probably take me another 10 seconds to change my, or to take my, put my wheel back on mm -hmm. than it would with a normal fork. Yeah. 10 seconds. That's it, man. It's not like a crazy deal breaker. And that's yeah. why most of the pros, by the way, don't run that fork. Yeah. The reason for that is because they have the slower wheel changes. Yeah. Uh, once again, Nino Schroeder, that matters. Uh, all of us that are listening to this podcast, unless Nino's listening, what's up, Nino? Then, hey, <laughs> hey, man, good to see you. Good to hear. Good to have you again, I should say. Yeah. Um, but if that's the case, you know, all of us can forget about that. Um, but it's a super stiff chassis on the RS1. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I think it's okay to say overbuilt that yeah. upper. Oh, it yeah. is really stiff. After tearing into yours a few times, yeah, it's really <laughs> stiff. Really stiff. Yeah. Uh, the, the lefty is extremely stiff as well. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that the RS1 doesn't have, that the lefty does have, is the fact that, and this is what makes the RS1 difficult to change wheels on. Otherwise, it wouldn't be hard. Yeah is the fact that the lowers on the RS1, they can twist, mm -hmm. right? They can just spin. So yeah. remember, it's an upside down fork, right? So when it gets to the bottom, you have your stanchions that come out of the upper part. Mm -hmm. The upper is a larger diameter. It's yeah. an upside down fork. You have your stanchions that come down and lugs on the base of those stanchions, just like a motorcycle fork. Yep. And in this case, just like a motorcycle, you can twist those lugs around. You can spin them in circles. Yeah. It doesn't hurt anything. Yeah. They just spin them. They just spin. Yep. So you can spin those things. That's what makes the wheel changes hard. But also that is a point where you lose stiffness in the structure. Yeah. So the way that SRAM kind of gets around that is that they have on those lugs, they're indexed. They basically have grooves cut into them all the way around 360 Neural degrees. Neural grooves, yeah. And then the hub has the same. You have to use a different hub with that one. Yeah. And it also has the, basically the, the male and female uh, – Grooves built in so that when you put it together, it kind of it notches into, play, into place. The through axle clamps it down even harder, and it makes it like a really stiff structure down there. Uh, a lot of people complain about the torsional rigidity, like if you were to squeeze the wheel with your legs and you can turn your bars. I've yeah, never, a lot of forks can do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, go go do that to a dirt bike fork. Go do that to Ken Roxon's fork on his dirt bike, the top Supercross racer, and then let him know that he is in danger. Yeah. I'm sure that he'll, I'm sure that he'll be very concerned. Yeah. So no, uh, you don't have to worry about that. That yeah. doesn't, that doesn't 
rear its ugly head uh, when you're on the bike. But the Cannondale doesn't have that, right? Or the lefty doesn't have that. No, because the way that they do the inverted fork is they design it so that the stanchion goes up inside the upper assembly and then it turns into a square. They basically go from round to square. And on each of those square faces is a pack of needle bearings that the whole fork stanchion rides on instead of being on glide bushings. So now you have no deflection, you have no gaps, you have nothing to let it move around. That is the one fork that when I first rode a lefty, uh, when I first rode a lefty on my 2015 Jekyll, I turned into a corner like I would on a Fox 36, and I almost put myself in the dirt on the inside of the berm because <laughs> when I turned left, it went left. Yeah. They don't, there is no deflection, there is no noodling at all of that fork i mean that thing is ridiculously stiff and you've seen me on the scalpel recently and oh, that yeah. lefty that thing just it's amazing oh yeah it's and <clears throat> what i tell people is when you have a fork that's that stiff on an xc bike it levels the bike up yep um, especially when it's partnered with good damping which in this case both of those forks do have good yes, damping very good damping so with uh rs1 being inverted and the lefty being inverted both mm -hmm. of them are inverted forks you have that valving that the oil is constantly sitting there ready to go through that valving you don't have to go through that weird period where you basically the fork moves through some travel and pushes the oil up hits the valving and then has a point of resistance then blows through which you'll notice on a lot of the open damper like SIDS, yep. you'll, you'll have that issue. Yep. So, but with, man, with that thing, it's, it, it's just, it's the opposite basically. Yep. And you feel like your front and you feel on both of these forks, you feel like your front tire is glued to the ground. Yeah. When you're going over little choppy stuff, it's just so well planted. So your, your confidence and traction, everything else goes up. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to have, if you're going to do this on your bike, you're going to end up having to rebuild your front wheel with a different uh, hub, no matter which one you go with RS one, RS one or lefty, uh, both of them remote lockout, the remote lockout on the lefty is a little bit easier to work with because the top crown is right there. You have a short little hydraulic line to a rock shock sprint lock. Yep. So it's, it's super quick, super easy. Now, if you get the new rock shocks, uh, RS one, mm -hmm. the, the 2018 one yeah. it has the charger two damper, which is an upgrade. Yeah. I believe it's charger two. I may be wrong on that, but it has an upgraded damper yeah. suffice it to say. And it also, uh, you can get one that actually doesn't have a remote lockout if you don't want it. Okay. And it actually just has a little twist lock remote, like normal on the, on the upper there, Okay. which I actually, for Leadville, I would totally do that. Yeah. Um, just because it's not like you're going through sections where it's like, like if you're on a cross country course, that's constantly got a bunch of up and downs and it's like pinned the whole time. Yeah. And then you, a ro remote super nice. Cause you don't have to reach off the bars and in but a Leadville, technical it's like, moment. It's like for 15 miles I'm climbing. Totally. So, right. Yeah. Um, I would spend the majority of the day locked out for Leadville. Yeah. I would assume, uh, we'll find out this year when I do it. So, but it's, I, I think that that those two forks would be the best now granted. I don't know what the weight is of the lefty compared to something like the step cast. I'm sure it weighs more. Uh, no. <laughs> oh gosh. That's such a good fork, man. Yeah. Um, so in this case, uh, I know the step cast is light. I know the new sit is light. And if you're going for a light bike, cause weight can help, mm -hmm. uh, then yeah, I totally get it. Um, when we climbed, I climbed Mount Ikea recently. Oh, did you? Yeah. I should tell you all about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but when we did that, we looked at one pound. What difference we use this, uh, some software called best bike split. You can go to bestbikesplit.com. Ryan Cooper, the guy that did it is he's a genius, awesome guy. Mm -hmm. But basically we looked at what would happen if you had, uh, one pound less 
and this climb was going to take us about six hours, right? And it's okay. fifteen or it's uh, fourteen thousand feet of climbing. Okay. So from sea level up, we looked at one pound and how much that difference that would be in terms of time, and it was over a minute with a with a pound, right? Over six hours. Over six hours. I'd rather have a better fork than a lighter fork still. Yeah. So, and then we looked at like one watt difference. It was also a minute, which was crazy, right? That seems nuts. But anyways, Leadville, you're looking at eight to 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, So you are going to, you know, weight matters here. If you can drop a weight, if you can drop a pound, it could shave a minute. And when you get one minute away from getting a buckle that you want, that silver buckle. But you also have to remember Leadville's not just a climb race. Exactly. So you're going to save a minute on the climb maybe, but... What about the, you know, I don't remember how many feet of descending you're going to do at Leadville. Yeah. Where is the suspension, a stiffer chassis fork going to help you? Yeah. It might be a wash. It might be better. You don't. What I would do for Leadville, it sounds crazy, I know, but I would go with light duty, light tires. Mm-hmm. I would go with ones that have very minimal tread on them. So like an Icon or Aspen or even less. No, I would that. think less than that. Okay. I'm thinking like a WTB max, Nano, like a Max Light, a Nano, uh, okay. maybe even or a Thunderbird if it's a Schwalbe, something like that. If it's a specialized Don't do a Schwalbe, tire, though. yeah, yeah, that's true. Because you want to finish the race. Yeah, <laughs> you want to finish it in 12 hours and be done, not finish it in three hours because your tires are done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I would look for something like that. Yeah. And then I would want a fork to have very plush action. Versus going with, and the reason for that is because it's going to be nicer on my wrists. It's going to be faster rolling resistance, everything else. If you go with a tire that's a little like tougher or more knobs or anything else, you can probably get away with a fork with less action, like larger volume or something like that. But that's what I would personally do. I would go for an RS1 uh, or I'd go for the lefty and then I would go with some lighter stuff. So MTB podcast is giving no votes for the Lauf fork, right? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, Sorry. Good. Sorry. I, I've heard the Lauf guys are super cool. Yeah. I'm sure. I know they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard they're awesome, but, um, no, I like, I like rebound damping. So, yeah. uh, okay. Uh, and check this out. He says, PS based on Jonathan's and Steve's recommendations, here's a list of equipment I use. And he lists it. Basically everything that this guy has is because of our recommendations. We have a lot of responsibility, man, man. Yeah. That's some liability right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's all good stuff. You made good choices, man. Nice. Good job. Uh, Jason's question. He says, hey, guys, love the show when it comes out. Slackers. Oh, man, wow. that hurts. Yeah. He says, so I raced XC last year and did pretty okay for my first year, but I've recently been introduced to Enduro, and I'm going to give that a go next season, aside from a bit of more, or a bit more TRX and core work. When he says TRX, he's talking about the straps that you then, like suspension TRX training. training. Yeah. He says... And you can just buy toe straps, people. Um, or go on Amazon. There's a TRX like knockoff kit that's like ten bucks. Yeah, <laughs> and it actually is the same thing from all I can tell. So when that strap breaks, don't blame me. I'm just saying that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just you fall on your face yeah, yeah. because it fails. Don't blame me. Uh, he says, uh, aside from a bit of TRX core work, what's a good way to train for enduro? Thanks again, and keep up the great show. I'd like to have D Tidwell on here, um, at some point. Cause he does some enduro mountain bike training with uh, a lot of the, like the, the Yeti team, okay. uh, and plenty of people over in the front range over in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, I'm also, <clears throat> the plan is I'm working with a strength coach. Uh, if you look up Wukar fit, so W U K A R, uh, fit on Instagram. That's you. Yes. <laughs> if you look that up, you can see, <clears throat> um, Art O'Connor, he's a great guy, really knowledgeable about training athletes with strength training and everything else. I'm actually starting to work with him now, um, on my strength training program for next year. Okay. So, 
I'm hoping to get some good content from him on, on this stuff too. So we'll have more insight, but in short, Steven, if I'm an XC dude, Mm-hmm. What, 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 what would I, what changes would I need to make to my body or, or what do you, would you see me doing well, if I switched over to Enduro? If you switched over, I, I'm going to assume that you're already, you already have a solid base. You already have a good, you know, solid FTP Watts per kilo or up there, you know, yep. you've got the, you've got the strength and the endurance. Um, I would say what you really have to work on is the. 120 to 150% interval strength. Like I'm going to just overexert myself for three to nine minutes. Punch, 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 punch. and being able to repeat it mm. over and over and over again. Yes, you are on. You are on without, point with that. Without thirty minute breaks, like you need to be able to in in your training, be able to hit for seven minutes, take a ninety second break, hit for six minutes, ninety yeah. second break, hit for seven minutes. You have to be able to do yeah. That. And I'm banging the table again, so sorry <laughs> if okay. you guys are hearing stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's really what you need to be working on if you already have that XC strength built. Now there's, so that's the fitness side of things. And I agree, you need to be able to, and looking at actually like power files from some of the top athletes, they basically, you know, they, they go as high as, you know, 200% FTP and they will do that, you know, for as short as five seconds. Uh, you know, it'll be just a short burst yeah. and then they do that again. Then they do that again. Then they do that again over yeah. and over and over and over yeah. and over. It's a unique type of training. Uh, short track XC is, is like, it would be a pretty quick crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, even cyclocross. some, yep. Cyclocross, even some track racing, uh, can, can transfer over that type of fitness. Yeah. But then we're talking about a separate thing of building up the fitness fitness to be able to, for the rest of your body and the strength to be able to manage your bike in yeah. technical terrain. You need a lot more core and upper body than you do. You do. XC. Yeah, you absolutely do. And what we're really looking for in this case is building up posterior chain strength. I think, uh, I, 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 I don't want to overstep my bounds here, but basically you're going to be in a situation where you're going to be utilizing your posterior chain for extended periods of time in in dynamic positions, like mm-hmm. squatted extremely low when you're going over something that's really steep or technical. So you got your, um, do got to do your booty camp. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Buy that DVD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you'll, so you got to work on that, but then you also have to be a strong athlete in terms of what you can sustain, uh, for like force and violence, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, if you look at um, a lot of athletes and they'll, they'll work like kind of like NFL combine style work, uh, you'll see like pushing rigs along, uh, pulling things, working with like, like battle ropes. You'll see them doing that sort of throwing a thing. tractor tires around. Yeah, sure. Like those type of, of, of strong strength moves is, are they're going to help you out in enduro because cer- certain enduros are, are, are non-technical, but mm-hmm. you Usually all of them at least have one spot that's going to be gnarly. Some of them have many. So you need to be able to, number one, have the solid technique, which I'd recommend working with Lee McCormick on that. He's Mm -hmm. so good from Lee Likes Bikes. So good. Uh, He'll get you in the proper position and doing the right things and then moving on from there. In fact, actually, hmm. Uh, Question. No, idea. Yeah, yeah, a thing. He has this, and, and I was totally skeptical at first because I saw this and I was like, this looks like an infomercial thing or something, but he has something that he calls the rip row. It was up on pink bike and pink bike comments, like shredded it, like tore it apart. Right. Okay. But here's the deal. I use the thing and I'm 100%, 100% on board with it. And I, you know me, I'm a skeptic. Okay. Right. When well, is that fair to say? I would say you're skeptical about a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a skeptic. Um, not cynical, but skeptical. I'm and cynical. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say that. No, either. I'm not. You're great, you. Stephen. Thanks. So. <laughs> but, or something. <laughs> but I, I'm, 
this thing basically it's it's a it's like a bike but it's got a damper on it and it's mounted to a platform that can roll and change pitch and everything else and he basically has you like you just use it to repeat the movements that you would do of rowing and anti-rowing on a bike basically over and over and over okay it's a killer workout extremely hard but it helps you refine those movements and build up that type of strength okay it's another thing yeah. i think he's taking pre-orders for it right now i don't i'm not sure it's actually like full-on like available like if you buy it now it'll come tomorrow but nice. anyhow that's what i would say cool Next one is from Sean. It says, Jonathan, really cool to see you riding with Brian Kennedy on his BKXC YouTube channel. Would love to see Steven, sh Steven show off his skills too. I was supposed to. He was. The, the Mount Huff day. Yeah, he yeah. was. And then I couldn't. Yeah. It's I had sad things. Day. I had life. Yep. Life happens. Uh, it was yeah. a sad day. We, we missed Steven. I mean, it was a good day, but sad because we missed you. So yeah. says, on to my question. I just got a Canyon Strive, which I love so far with one exception. I can physically move the chain stays side to side enough to make a noise from hitting the frame. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Can tolerances vary that much or is that a cause for concern? I don't have an Allen key large enough to check the torque on the bolts. I'd recommend getting one. You can go to like any like hardware store and, and don't get, one. get a Harbor Freight one. Yeah. Don't go to minimum yeah. craftsman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like an auto parts store. Sorry. Yeah. It's yeah. probably the better one. No. Where, where should he go? We got to tell this guy where to go. Honestly, it's, I honestly go to Sears for a craftsman okay. or contact, you know, one of your local shops that has like a contact at Matco or snap on or whatever. Mm. Allen keys. When you get to very specific torque ratings, you have to use a good one. Yeah. Cause first of all, a cheap Harbor freight, six millimeter is going to actually be like 5.75 millimeters because Meh, the 12, close. yeah. Cause the 12 year old <laughs> kids that made it in China are definitely, you know, they're just, yeah, it's not extruded quite properly, but yeah. yeah. So it, honestly, quality of tools is really important when getting proper torque specs on them. So, yeah. I couldn't agree more with yeah. that. Uh, so he says, uh, but every other small bolt on the frame, uh, on the bike came torque to spec. So I assume these are as well. What do you guys think? Do I have an issue? Is there a simple solution? Um, honestly, unfortunately, the, the crappy thing about this is there is some flex in mm -hmm. that bike. There's flex in a lot of bikes like that. It just depends what your clearances are to the actual chain stay or seat stay assembly. Yeah. I can actually on my, on my Cannondale Jekyll, I can, you know, when I get up to sprint super hard in the middle of like an enduro segment, I can actually torque so hard that I get my uh, rear rotor to actually rub on the brake pads. And you're a big guy. I, I am. You put I'm, out a I'm, lot of I'm power. 200 pounds. So and you put out a lot of power. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that would make sense. I, I being a lighter guy, at least on my ASR, I, in fact, last time we rode was the only time that I actually have heard rub go on. I've seen it in other spots. Like you can see the evidence of it, but yeah. it was the only time I've heard it. And that was a very, very exceptional circumstance. So, yeah. um, I'm looking at things online and, and people are even saying that with the Canyon Strive that they get a lot of lateral flex in the yeah. rear triangle. Okay. That's, yeah. so <clears throat> it, it makes sense. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of bikes, like they'll have basically every time you see a pivot, that's an opportunity for a flex point. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, a single pivot bike is pretty cool in one respect, because usually they're more simple, not necessarily. You can have like a modified single pivot with like weird linkages that I even add on to it. Like um, my somehow. Jekyll. Right. Yeah. But, um, usually in that case, you can see if there's a pivot point, that's an opportunity for flex. Yeah. So, uh, you know, also if you are extending those pivot points, like further away from the center, everything else, then you can be creating a issues. longer lever arm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so at the end of the day, that flex, unfortunately is 
fairly standard. Mm -hmm. You're just finally noticing it on this bike because it's different than your last bike. And yeah. Yeah. And, and don't, and don't worry too much about it. Like in the sense that like, uh, if it is something that's like really like got you concerned, then talk to Canyon. I'm yeah. sure their customer service is going to be good. It is good. Um, so talk to them on that. But uh, otherwise, I wouldn't worry too much. No. So kind of par for the course. Uh, Steven, uh, I think I only have time for one more. Fine. Is that okay? Yeah. I feel like we're going to we're gonna have to like, you know what we'll have to do is this will be part one and then we'll do a part two coming up very soon. How very soon? Like we should just record it this weekend. Okay. Yeah. Sound good. Okay. All right. Nice. Okay. So, uh, from desperately, this one, you'll get two more from desperately seeking advice. I think his name is no desperately seeking episodes. Is everything okay? We miss you. Yep. Yeah. Everything, everything. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, life has happened recently. There's a lot of stuff that's gone down, you <laughs> yeah. know, so, yeah. but we're good. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, okay. Uh, let's get into this one. He says, uh, okay. The SB55 has been a blast, and being new to the Yeti brand, I've loved every ride thus far. Cool. Good to hear, man. Glad to hear you're on one. Welcome to the tribe. He says, with that said, I like to lighten the bike with carbon wheels. I've owned a Revol Traverse SL 27.5 wheels and enjoyed the acceleration of riding on carbon wheels. Uh, those are really stiff wheels, too. The Revolves. So that acceleration feeling you feel, a lot of the time, it isn't necessarily the weight as much as just a stiff wheel set. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed that too? Like a lot of people misunderstand the two and it's, and it's no, no fault of your own. Vinny fingers in this case is his name. Um, it's just a stiff wheel accelerates, yeah. you know, if quickly he says, I like to do the, I look to do the same for my 29, but I can't decide if Santa Cruz carbon wheels would be more my choice just because I would like to try something new. I've heard you two touch on the improvements needed on other carbon wheels. So I asked for a comparison of the two wheels. I ride all sort, all styles of terrain, the benefits of living near the four corners. Your input will be greatly appreciated by the way. Five stars rating done. Thumbs up. Thanks, man. The one thing I do like about the Santa Cruz wheels is their warranty. Mm -hmm. It's like solid. It's awesome. And they're not terribly expensive. Yeah. But my opinion would be if you want carbon wheels, I would actually go with, um, if you're not going to spend the money on Envy, yeah. then my next uh, best would be Project 321 hubs. Okay. Laced to a set of uh, DT Swiss competition race spokes. Okay. With the uh, um, WTB CI 31 okay. rims. Awesome. Uh, are those asymmetrical? No, the, the, the carbon version is not asymmetrical. Gotcha. Um, on a 29, I think especially 29 boost, I don't think it's really that super critical. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't worry about it, but I just really like the WTB, uh, the carbon wheels, just the way that they, they work. They have that rigidity, but they also have a little bit of vertical compliance, which is nice. So, um, they're a very nice wheel. So I think we, we both agree that number one. Yeah. If you have the, the cash envy. Yeah. That, right. We've both owned them. We've owned other sets of carbon wheels yeah. and we've owned plenty of sets of aluminum wheels. They're better. They are better. It's just kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, I haven't ridden the Santa Cruz ones. I, I know. I don't think you have either yet, Steven. No, I have not. Uh, we haven't ridden them. So we can't say that they're quantifiably better than those, but I don't see how the Santa Cruz would be better than them because Envy just makes wheels. Yeah. And Envy does that well. And I'm sure that Santa Cruz sourced the production of these out. Yeah. These are wheels. just white labeled, yep. you know, from someone else. Yep. Exactly. Um, Yeti does a darn, or sorry, not Yeti, but Envy does a darn good job on this. And I'll um, tell you what, their, their warranty and customer service is by far the best I've ever dealt with oh, in yeah. the bike industry. It's amazing. By far. Yep. They're incredible. So uh, I've had Revol Control SLs before. 
they were light, they were stiff, but they went out of true very regularly. Yeah. And so do the traverses. Yeah. So, um, so that's, uh, one, one thing I would say there, there are so many carbon wheel brands out mm-hmm. there. It's kind of tough to keep track of them all. But, uh, if you want our recommendations, man, you'll be the happiest with envy. Um, I'm sure that if you went, I think like the Bravo, I think it stands uh, carbon one. That's their carbon trail. I've heard, I've heard good things about that as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that could be a good one too. Yeah. All right, Steven, I guess that covers it. Uh, to be continued part two coming up soon. Yes. We will give you more people. Yes. Thanks everybody for listening. Go to mtbpodcast.com. We'll talk to you in just a few days. Have a nice day. guys jonathan here just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro it comes from wave riders entertainment my good friend tommy walter check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to we'll talk to you next week